I'll read from the book of Job. Job is the most unusual book in the Bible. It's not a historical book. It's not a book of prophecy. It's occupied with one man and his ups and downs, trials and tribulations. This man started out wealthy, plenty around him, large family, prosperous. And then the devil got into the picture. The devil gets into a lot of these situations. Things were going great till the devil showed up. And you said, wait till I get through with him and he'll not be such a righteous man as you think. And so he took away his family, took away his possessions, took away his health, and there he sat, scratching himself, smitten with balls. And uh, he said, uh, even the young people look down on me now. In chapter 29, Moreover, Job continued his parable and said, Oh, that I were as in months past, <clears throat> and in the days when God preserved me. But, chapter 30, verse 1, But now they that are younger than I have me in derision, whose fathers I would have disdained to have set with the dogs of my flock. In other words, he said, I, this crowd of youngsters that's looking down on me and giving me such a rough time, I wouldn't have let their daddies run with my dogs. You didn't think that was in the Bible, did you? They could talk right up in the meeting sometimes. And, but the one that I'm occupied with is not that this morning, but verse 2 of the 29th chapter. All that I wear as months pass as in the days when God preserved me. He was looking back on the good old days, and he'd had a lot of them. He'd never had it so good. Now he never had had it so bad. Everything had changed. And it's summed up in a remembrance, oh, that I wear as in, as in months past, a regret and a request, all in one short line. He didn't know what he had, but he didn't have it. I want you to think with me about the danger of getting over it and getting to the place where we take things for granted. Never miss the water till the well goes dry. The sin of taking things for granted. We need more preaching on Psalm 103 too. Somebody always brings that up at Thanksgiving, but... Thanksgiving ought to be every day in the air as far as a Christian is concerned. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, and forget not all his benefits. There are some things in this world I don't want to take for granted. I don't want to take for granted the beauty of God's creation. We're beginning to see springtime now. And uh, this earth is not as beautiful as it once was on account of the devil because he spoiled all the beauty of it. Uh, before he got into the picture, when uh, it was new, and the Garden of Eden had not been uh, trespassed upon, it was a wonderful time. It must have been, if it's this pretty now. I don't think they ever had bad weather. I don't think they ever had tornadoes and floods and their children drowned and all the devastations of war and of crime that we have today. None of that. Even the disturbances of the weather came along as part of the devil's program, and 
people say, well, the Lord runs the weather. Yes, he runs everything, but the devil gets a lot in there anyhow. And uh, I'm not so easy to say, well, every kind of weather. It comes originally like everything, the hand of God, but you've got to allow for the intervention sometimes of the devil. And sometimes God intervenes in judgment with the weather, but in either case. And there's another side to be recognized in all of this. Uh, creation was wrecked by sin. We've almost ruined what's left, but it's still lovely in spots. And one day the original beauty will be restored because I believe in the redemption of creation. You sang about it here one night. My redemption, your redemption, draweth nigh. That's a great song. I believe in it because it's taught so often in the Bible. I read about it in Isaiah 11 and in Romans 8. I believe that this present world is going to be done over. We're not going to the final heaven and new earth straightway. Uh, the new heavens and earth comes later. But when Jesus comes back to rule and reign, he's going to make this one over. Put the devil out of business and reign. No sickness, no sorrow. And God's people will reign and rule with him. And uh, that'll be a glorious time. But we don't have it now. I think we ought to fix it up. It's gotten a terrible condition. But uh, uh, there are very few today in this space age who uh, give God much glory for the handiwork that we still have in his firmament. We had a North Carolina poet that I love to read, uh, John Charles McNeil. <clears throat> he wrote these wonderful lines watching the sunset. Hills wrapped in gray, standing along the west, clouds dimly lighted, gathering slowly. The star of peace that watch above the crest. Oh, holy, holy, holy. Oh, Lord, we know so little what is best. Wingless, we move so lowly. But in thy calm, all oh, knowledge, let us rest. Oh, holy, holy, holy. Now, that man saw more than the sun going down. He saw God in that wonderful sunset. Uh, some years ago when I was in meetings in the First Baptist Church of Hackensack, New Jersey, wonderful a Northern Baptist Church, the pastor and I went up to Teddy Roosevelt's old home, Sagamore Hill on Oyster Bay. I've always been an admirer of that great man. And we went and spent the day. Of course, it's a national shrine now. And uh, I can understand how he loved that place. And the last thing he said before he went to bed to die in his sleep was to turn to Ms. Roosevelt and say, nobody will ever know how much I love Sagamore Hill. And he went in and that was the last thing. But uh, one night he had a visitor there and they were out looking at the stars for a while on the front lawn. And then Teddy Roosevelt said, well, I think we're down to our right size now. Let's go in the house. Maybe that would help some of us to get to our right size if we spent a little more time looking up. I don't want to take America for granted. And all you've got to do to appreciate this person, this land, if you're in your right mind, is to visit some other one. You come back, that old Statue of Liberty will look mighty good if you fly over it. When the POWs and the boys got back from Vietnam, some of them kissed the ground First thing they did when they got out of the boat, and I don't blame them. I know there's a lot wrong with America, 
but uh, it's the best piece of dirt there is on the planet yet, and they're still trying to get in over here, not get out like they are everywhere else. I don't read of anybody trying to get into Russia unless he's out of his mind or on business, but they're trying to come here, and so I'm in favor of it. They say, my country makes you always be right, but right or wrong. My country, well, people say you oughtn't to say that while we ought to. Don't you say about your boy, my boy may always be right, but right or wrong is still my boy. And this is still our country. I wish it were better, yes. And these folks would like it better somewhere else. Uh, I'd like to go with them and get the whole crowd together. Take them up to New York and load them up on boats and wave as long as I can see them. They take off for the land they love. They're welcome to it, my friend. I'm not taking America for granted. And then we take the ability to see and enjoy God's blessing for granted. If you've been blind all your days and then never seen the sky and the grass and the trees, one day your eyes were miraculously opened. You'd never take sight for granted. Never again. I think about that a train in the old-fashioned days rolling across the western prairies of the country it was hot, no air conditioning. You couldn't raise the window, you'd get cinders in your eyes, and you couldn't stand it in there, you're about to die. And everybody was perfectly miserable, except one fellow over by the window. And every few minutes he'd say, wonderful. <laughs> everybody else thought, well, now what ails him? So finally one man couldn't stand it any longer and he went over there and said, pardon me, but the rest of us are about to uh, burn up here and why are you so happy? He said, you don't understand. Until a few days ago, I had no eyesight and a great doctor got at the bottom of my trouble. Now I can see. And he said, what's ordinary to you is out of this world for me. It's wonderful. Everything's wonderful. Even this old desert is wonderful. Well, if all your life you've never heard the song of a bird or the voices of your loved ones, and then one day your ears were unstopped, hearing would never be a matter of course. And if you lost your health and lay week after week after week, maybe in a hospital or at home or in a retirement center or a nursing center, incapacitated. I remember uh, five months of that. Couldn't preach. I sat in a room and almost begrudged anybody the privilege of walking down, just walking down the street. I think I'd have given anything in the world if I could just have taken the stroll down to the bridge where I always liked to walk. But I couldn't. And uh, when I was able, thank God again, uh, I learned to appreciate it. I spent months in the hospital at the bedside of a dying wife seven and a half years ago and listening to outside noises of the sick and the dying. I don't cure you for, for taking health for granted if you have a double dose of that, believe me. You don't appreciate health. You don't appreciate sleep. I had two years when I... I don't know how I lived. I didn't just have a spell once in a while. I had... Uh, insomnia, it's very worst. And I can understand how if it went on and on, you'd get into still worse mental states than that. And uh, i never forget it. <clears throat> Believe me, I 
rarely cease morning come to thank God for a nice rest. So it goes all the way through the things we've known and enjoyed. Some of you have lost dear ones that <coughs> were very dear to you. And you give if you're the right kind. Of course, we've come to a day when um, people are without natural affection, the Bible says. I think we've got a lot of people not capable of love. I mean human love. They don't love each other. They get married, didn't love each other. Can't stay married, didn't love each other. Don't love the children. Don't love anybody. Terrible fix to get into. And I thank God I had 33 years with somebody that loved. Somebody loved me. And I carry around with me a little uh, note that she sent to me along toward the land. And said, and I, I treasure that thing more than I do all the money I could ever stuff in the pocket. Saying, you've been faithful as a husband, faithful as a Christian, faithful as a preacher. And I said, there's only one better than that I want to hear. I want to hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. And that'll fill the bill. <laughs> but have you got that in your heart? And ever since your loved one went away, you'd give a lot for the touch of a vanished hand and the sound of a voice that is still. Don't take your husband, don't take your wife this morning for granted. Do you hear me? I bet it's been a long time since you expressed yourself in appreciation. You young people, don't take dad and mom for granted. How long's it been if you ever did? Tell them how you appreciate providing for you. I heard of an Irishman that got to church and the preacher got after him about this. And he said, he's right. I'm going home and tell the good lady how I appreciate her. And he got up a speech on the way home that never was on land or sea. I tell you, it was a honey. And he got into the kitchen there, and she was working at the dishes, and he started out with that speech, and she stopped and looked at him, <clears throat> said, well, this takes the cake. Said, I broke one of my best plates this morning. I've had a splitting headache all day, and now you've come home drunk. <laughs> so tell her, tell him. Don't take these things for granted. Now I stand here this morning to say that too many people are taking the church for granted. You, you don't appreciate the fact that you've got a church on nearly every other corner in Greenville. You wouldn't want to live where there are no churches, but um, millions of people are living as though there were no churches. They might as well be none as far as they're concerned, and thousands of them in Greenville this morning. Might as well be none. Now, we're afflicted today with a Christless churchianity, I know, but also a churchless Christianity. Some of the hippies were saying a few years ago, I love Jesus, but not the church, and they thought that sounded pretty smart. But Jesus loved the church and gave himself for it. He's the head and the church is the body. And I don't believe in a headless body and a bodiless head. They go together and he loves the church. The church's one foundation is Jesus Christ our Lord. She's his new creation. 
by water and the word. From heaven he came and sought her to be his holy bride. With his own blood he bought her, and for her life he died. That's how much he thought of the church. Don't you ever take the church for granted. And joining the church, people wait sometimes. We've got about two million Baptists. They tell me supposed to be Baptists that don't belong where they live. That's taking the church for granted. And uh, we take the gospel for granted. Uh, if you've ever visited Rome and ridden by the Colosseum, uh, you've been impressed, no doubt. That marvelous old, uh, wonderful sight of past glories of empire. In one of our magazines, I don't know whether it was National Geographic or not, they had a big picture of the Colosseum, and under it this. This is the Colosseum where early Christians died for a faith that we now take for granted. I'm glad to see that in the magazine. That's the truth. They died for it. We don't live for it. It loses the power of truth and lies bedridden in the dormitory of the soul. The thing that used to make your grandmother shout in the aisles puts you to sleep in the pews today. I heard of some missionaries in Korea who had preached at night and then dismissed the folks and told them to go home at the hour was late. But they wouldn't leave. And they said, we don't want to go home. We can't sleep. After all we've heard, he told us that God so loved us that he gave his son that if we'll trust him, we live forever. How can we sleep tonight after we've heard that? We go to sleep hearing about it. That's an American quality, getting used to things. All the way through life this thing runs, and it's a tragedy. What began as an experience has become a performance. We pay a church staff to do church work. Then we come out on Sunday and watch them do it. We see them perform. And, uh, all right, preacher, here we are. Let's see what you've got. I feel that coming up at me sometimes over the country. I know that I don't look very imposing. Uh, I have to preach like everything keep people from looking at me. I'm not an imposing preacher. It's dangerous to be a good-looking preacher because his profile may raise expectations that his preaching won't justify. So I appreciate the fact that <clears throat> I have a feeling sometimes that I've been announced for a long time at a place. Then I get about just when I walk over to sit down, brother Dan, I feel like some of the folks out there saying, Not that. Well... What's the difference if we preach the gospel of Jesus Christ? We're not recommending ourselves, thank God. But I think of that great religious leader that went to one of these dry, dead, dull, dismal, desolate meetings and nearly died in it before it ever got over. And back there before he went out, he, he knelt beside the bench, I think it says, and said, Lord, this can't be it. You didn't die for this. You didn't rise from the grave for this. This just can't be all there is to it. 
There must be more to it than that. We ought to be excited. Why can we sit here so smug and snug and content and go out saying, well, how would you like him? Instead of what do you think about the gospel after that, I've reached the age where I could take it easy if I want to. But I can't. And I thank God I can't. I can't even taper down, may have to before long. But there's too much to be said and too few people saying it. And some things especially that ought to be said that are not being said just because it's out of style. I don't want to be a preacher coasting to my retirement. Thank God you've got a preacher here not coasting. He'd kill himself working, maybe, but he's not, <laughs> not coasting. And my friends, I don't want to get to that place where what I preach doesn't move me. Doesn't move me, I ought to quit preaching it till it does move me. A.J. Gordon used to tell about those fountains out in public squares with the water gushing out their mouths, and they never taste it. We sing songs that lose their meaning. And grace is no longer as precious as the hour we first believed. You remember that old song. And it was precious when you first believed, if you really believed. Then you got used to being a Christian. You've left your first love. You've lost the joy of salvation. You've become lukewarm. Jesus said a lukewarm church. And that'll include certainly any lukewarm Christian. Makes me sick. I'll spew you out of my mouth. We older people get settled on the lees, and we need to be, as the Bible says, emptied from vessel to vessel, churned up, lest we get to where we're settled and satisfied with it. Break up your fallow ground. Don't put a sign up in front of your face, please do not disturb. Oh, I thank God for John Wesley and for the great Wesleyan revival. When I was down at Brunswick, Georgian meetings, they've got a great campground across the marshes. And I said to the preacher, take me over there, I want to spend the day at that great Methodist campground. Wesley visited it himself back in the days when Methodism was on fire and when it was new. Wesley came at a strange time. Somebody said the Puritans had all been buried and the Methodists hadn't been born. <laughs> That was a dark hour in England. Religion was mighty low. The day came when the workers would come home with the dinner bucket with them, some of them practically beating the tune, singing, Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing. My great Redeemer's praise. Hear me, deaf, ye praise ye dumb, your loosened tongues employ. Ye blind, behold, your Savior come, and leap, ye lame, for joy. I went out to Fort Worth to one of our evangelistic conferences to preach for the Baptist. Found myself getting up a sermon with a lot of John Wesley in it. And I thought, well, what are you doing to preaching the Baptist and all this John Wesley? Got out there, would you believe it, to ask me over to SMU, Southern Methodist University, to preach to the preacher boys. I said, there's where I get to use my Wesley sermon. And I told them that John Wesley was a preacher for some time. He was a 
educated Oxford man. He was a man of prayer. He was a man who tried diligently to live the right life, but he wasn't ready to preach. He had not had a personal encounter with Jesus Christ that satisfied his soul. And of course those Methodists all know that that's what Aldersgate did to John Wesley and what something ought to do to a lot of us today. But we take it for granted. If I were preaching in the Methodist church, I'd tell them you take it for granted. And I tell you Baptists mostly this morning, you take it for granted. We all take it for granted. And there ought to be a waking up all over the land. This land's in an awful state this morning. We ought to pray for this president as we never have for a president of the United States. Whatever you think of him politically. And I think if some people had cussed out Jimmy Carter so much would have been praying for him, it might have been different in some chapters of our own life. I think we ought to pray for these people. They need it. The Lord's not, you know, we're getting in trouble. You, you're aware of this drought, I hope, in the Middle West, the water shortage in this country. And the awful dangers that face us, not only from communism, but even from the weather today. We tried to rescue those boys and ran into a sandstorm. We usually have better luck than that. From the days we invented a Titanic that wouldn't sink, and so proud we were, and the only thing it ever did was sink on the first trip, because only a hunk of ice was all it needed to send it down. God's been saying to us, now don't get too small because I may have to take you down a few pegs. And he may do it, not several pegs, but I don't know. I say, Lord, I hope everything's holding together in the morning when I wake up. And then we take Calvary for granted. King of my life, I crown thee now. Thine shall the glory be, lest I forget thy thorn-crowned brow. Lead me to Calvary, lest I forget Gethsemane, lest I forget thine agony, lest I forget thy love to me. Lead me to Calvary. We celebrate Christmas, I know, but the Bible doesn't even say to do that. The Bible nowhere tells us to celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ. It's all right, but the Bible doesn't say to do it says to memorialize his death, which we do at the Lord's Supper. But if he hadn't died, his birth wouldn't mean anything. He lived to die, and he died to live. And we ought to be singing to the old rugged cross, I'll ever be true. It's shame and reproach you lightly bear. God forgive us that we sing it so easily. God forgive us for coarse familiarity with the things of God. And then I hasten on, there's so much more that's on my Mind and heart, there's more than about this. I don't want to take for granted the hope of heaven. When I was a little boy in that old house that's still standing on top of a hill between uh, Shelby and Hickory, North Carolina, I remember when I was a little fellow going around to the old chimney and carving on it these words, Heaven, I hope to win. Now, why I put it that way, I don't know. I was just a kid. And you know, I go up there every once in a while, everything's still, that's about to fall in, and I've been talking, thinking about fixing it all up. 
But that old chimney is still there, and I suddenly one day thought of that, and I walked with him and said, by the way, I wonder if that old inscription would still be there. Well, the weather had done its worst to it, but I could make out two words, heaven and hope. And I said, thank God I've still got the hope, and I've still got heaven. And I tell you, I'd been told in that little old country church at Sunday school about a beautiful city whose builder and maker was God. And I used to swing under that old oak tree out there and look across the grandfather mountain and table rock trying to sing there's a land that's fairer than day and by faith I can see it afar when I can read my title clear dimensions in the sky. Bid farewell to every fear and wipe my weeping eyes. Made up my mind to go. Wanted to get off to an early start. And I visited that spot then. I said, Lord, keep me on this track more closely than I've ever been on it before. I found that the wind and the weather had battered that old inscription and the steady erosion of heat and cold. But still I could make out heaven and hope. And I, too, have stood the summers and the winters of all these years. And the ravages of the season have not removed the hope of heaven from my heart. And it's embedded in there more firmly than ever my boyish fingers embedded it a long time ago. You see, when I wrote it then, my loved ones were here, and now practically all of them are over there. My own immediate crowd has largely migrated Population shift. I stood some time ago in a little town. It may have been Greenville. <clears throat> and <clears throat> the black folks were holding a meeting over there on the hill in the distance. And they were singing. And oh, you know how they can sing. Sweeter as the years go by. Richer, fuller, deeper. Jesus' love is sweeter. Sweeter as the years go by. I said, Lord, I want to live that way. I may be in heaven tomorrow, but I'll love him and serve him today. Thanks be to God for his unspeakable gift. We oughtn't to get over these things. Now, I may be talking to somebody who came in here this morning. You haven't given religion much thought in quite a while. You haven't given Jesus much thought. You haven't given the church much thought. You ought to get yourself together and get one foot in front of the other and walk down here and take the hand of this good and godly man. And maybe you ought to join this church. I don't know what you ought to do. It's a good one to join, but you ought to get right with God first and foremost. You say, I've been taking it for granted. Would you be honest enough to swallow your pride? And walk down here with everybody looking at you and wondering what you've been into. And it's not easy to walk down front and make a confession like this. I'm going to let the pastor take it in a moment. Uh, but would you be willing to come down here and say, Preacher, I've been preached to this morning and I'm afraid of taking Jesus for granted and the gospel for granted and all of these wonderful things. I want to say, Lord, I'm sorry. And I repent. And I don't want to take Calvary for granted. And I don't want to take the Savior for granted. If I'm not saved, I want to be saved. And if I'm not sure, I want to be sure I'm saved. And whatever I need, I want this morning. 
I believe somebody here wants to do that. I don't believe God would give me the message if you say I accepted his information be dismissed. Some of you, you've never listened better than you have this month. It isn't enough. I don't ask you to do it to make me feel good, although it certainly would make me feel better, of course. But it'll make the Lord feel good, and it'll make you feel better, and make everybody else better. If you come and say, I've been taken, I'm going to get right with you. Lord, help the folks to do that this morning. Whether it's folks that have not been saved or folks that don't know whether they're saved or not, not sure, or folks that have not been living close to Jesus, folks that ought to be in fellowship with his church, Lord, you know who they are. I can't get them down here. The Holy Spirit can. Oh, grant that they may slip down here and say, I don't want to take it for them. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.